The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Amen. Father and our God, we thank you that we may gather as your people, the church today, to sing praises to your name. And as we just heard from our choir, fear not to enter the presence of God in your poverty. Lord, we pray that you would accept us in your sight because of your precious son, Jesus, and the blood that he spilled for us that we might be cleansed from our sins. We pray, Lord, that you would accept and inhabit the praises of your people today. And we pray, Father, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that we might see and behold beautiful and pleasant things out of your law. And we pray, Lord, that you would inhabit our praises, that they would be a sweet aroma to you as we offer them to you in hearts of faith. And we join our hearts and our voices together now, and we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to look there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and look to the Lord Jesus, for his cleansing alone. Hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon for your sins. Psalm 40, beginning in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and has set my feet upon the rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear, and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust, and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord now by turning in your hymnal to hymn number 179, as we sing together, Hallelujah, Thine the Glory.
be seated. And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. While the children are coming up, I just want to point out that in your bulletin, there is a uh, short printout of our anthem. The choir will be singing a little bit later in our service. And it's printed so that you can follow along and read those words with us as we sing. So I just wanted to draw your attention to that. Good morning, boys and girls. I'm coming. I'm coming. Good morning. Good to see you all. I have a question for you. I've got a question for you. Does anybody remember in the book of Joshua where he asked the children of Israel a question? Anybody remember? I'm going to read that to you this morning. And I'm going to talk to you about choices. Okay? This is Joshua chapter 14, chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. Okay? Listen very carefully. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served when they were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This passage is about choices. Joshua is about to die. He's the servant of the Lord. He has seen God do amazing and miraculous things. And these people who are standing before Joshua have seen it too. And he's telling them that today you have a choice to make. You are at a crossroads in life. You need to serve the Lord. Or you may serve the gods of the Egyptians. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land they're living in. And he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. The, the weight of your choice is on your own shoulders. So I wanted to share with you another quote from Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot said that to make a choice means that you are accepting the limitations of that choice. And to accept limitations requires maturity. Now I want to ask you for just a moment. If someone were to put that question to you today, either serve the Lord and walk before Him in holiness, or serve something else. What would you say your choice would be? If you had to choose right now today. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. So does that mean that there are certain other things that you can't serve if you're serving the Lord? Like what? Satan. Satan? What else? Pagan gods? Idols? Idols? You can't can't serve and worship your family. They can't be God to you. What else? What about Abigail? A TV show? You cannot? Money. Money. Thank you, Samuel. What else? Animals. What about yourself? You animals. You can't worship yourself. You can't worship the animals. And he says, choose this day whom you will serve. It's an either or. You can't have your toe in this bit of water and your feet in this other bit of water. You either serve God or you don't, he's saying. That's the choice. And that's a difficult choice. Because there are days when you have a sense where you feel like, well, I want to serve the Lord, but I really want these other things. And so the best place for you to go with those thoughts and those concerns and those desires that you see rising up in your heart, where should you go with them? To God. To God. Go to God with those desires. Ask Him to help you. And each of us has them. And anybody who says differently is just lying. We all have them. 
And the struggle is to live by faith, to see that the Lord will be faithful to you. So I want to encourage you today as you think about it, walk with the Lord, serve Him, and walk away from the things that are not Him and that don't bring Him glory. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for our covenant children this morning. What a a pleasure and a, a privilege it is to sit here this morning to see so many young people who desire to know you, covenant children who desire to walk in your ways and who say, I choose the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would confirm that in their hearts and their minds day after day. And especially today, on this day of worship, Lord, I pray that you would help them with the desires that rise up in their hearts where they might want to go after other things, money or achievement or a good name or a reputation that might precede them. Lord, I pray that you would help them to cling to you and for them to remember that what you say about them is more important than what anyone else could say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're back at the beginning of the Psalms. We're reading Psalm 1 together. So I want to ask you to turn to page 785. We're going to recite together Psalm 1. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and in whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Amen. Let's stand together now and turn to hymn number hymn number six hundred and twenty-two. I waited for the Lord Most High. Thank you. 
You may be seated. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these quiet, still moments where we may quiet our hearts before you to realign our thinking, to to rein in our hearts. Lord, we confess that it is easy to be busy with many thoughts in our minds, even thinking about things we're going to do later today, or our hearts just run away with cares and concerns of this world, of the trials that we and our families are going through and of challenges and difficulties and surprises that came up this past week that we had not accounted for. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you know the end from the beginning of everything, and that there is nothing hidden from your sight. We thank you and praise you that we may call upon you as the great King, the sovereign God, the Lord of life and death. And we pray to you now as your people that you would humble us in your presence, that we might receive all that you have to give to us this day in your word and in this service of worship. And Lord, we do lift up to you our brother Sam Goodwin and his wife Lizzie, that you would bless them in the work that you have given them to do. Lord, we pray for their preparations for this fall as they work on uh, different ways of encouraging missionaries around the world. We thank you, Lord, for this special calling on Sam's life that he would Uh, have walked through the difficulties of serving you on foreign soil and that he would now know because of that trial by fire himself what it means to reach out to other missionaries and to develop plans to encourage them. Lord, I pray for the member care ministry that he's a part of, that you would encourage him in it, that he would uh, have a great heart of wisdom and discretion as he speaks to missionaries and seeks to encourage them. Help him, Lord, to know when walls are up and when people are not being honest and truthful, that he might continue to be patient and wait upon you. Lord, I do pray for their marriage and I pray for their children also, that you would bless them. Bless the good ones. Have your hand upon them, Lord, we pray. And Lord, I do pray for uh, those in our government also. We lift up prayers that they might lead our country in integrity and faithfulness. We pray for our president and our vice president for all of our elected officials, Lord, that you would have your hand upon them, that you would break into their lives, in their consciences, in their voting, in their personal lives, in their finances, in everything that they do, Lord, we pray that you would speak to them, awaken their hearts, that they might hear and believe the gospel, that they might confess sinfulness before you. Lord, we pray that you would do this so that we might, as your word says, live quiet and peaceable lives serving you. Lord, we do pray that you would bless our church family here, that you would continue to have your hand upon us as a church body, and each of us individually, Lord, that you would be sustaining us in our homes and at our places of work. Sustain us as we seek to do your will, Lord, as we look to uh, this fall season and the excitement and the busyness of it. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us in it, that we might live and serve one another and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 37. Psalm 37, this morning we're going to be reading verses 34 to 40. Psalm 37, verses 34 to 40. This is the word of the Lord. Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them, because they trust in Him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we're concluding our series, Being Still in the Busy, learning what it means to trust the Lord, to pause before Him, to wait before Him, by looking one last time at the book of Psalms, chapter 37, and closely at these verses 34 to 40. The sermon is entitled, Wait on the Lord. Perhaps nothing strikes more fear in the heart of busy people than being on hold with customer service or waiting in line at the grocery store or the supermarket where you see someone seemingly struggling to just simply get through the line. And as you hold those packages in your mind, you weigh life choices at that time and you say, do I really need what it is that's in my buggy? Do I really need it? Is it necessary? I could be home in 10 minutes. Is it actually necessary that I have it? But isn't it true that whether we're waiting on customer service on hold or we're standing in line, that it's a matter of perspective? It really does depend on who's about to pick up the phone. If you're waiting and you hear those dreadful words, you are caller number 12. (laughs) Estimated wait time is one hour and 45 minutes. It really does depend, though, on who's about to pick up the phone, doesn't it? I watched uh, the great Aaron Sorkin show, The West Wing, and fell in love with the characters in that show. And one of the things that stuck out to me about that show, again and again, you would see someone on the phone, and they would uh, be waiting for someone to pick up, and the person would pick up the phone, and they would say, please hold for the president. And there was a, a maybe a panic or a joy or delight that came over the face of that character as they waited. I'm about to speak with the president. They collected their thoughts. They maybe cleared their throat. They stood up a little bit straighter, even though it wasn't a video phone. They knew they were about to speak with the president of the United States. It's a matter of perspective who's about to answer when you're waiting, isn't it? What hardship or difficulty or extended hold time would you endure if you knew God is the one that's about to pick up an answer? He's the one that's about to end your hold. 
Our fear and unbelief tell us that to wait is to be inactive, to waste good time, precious time, and precious resources, maybe even money, that if you wait, you're going to miss opportunities. There are things that will pass you by that if you don't grab them now, they will never come back again. Life is passing by. And so you have eternity in your heart and you wonder, if I don't take action now, will I ever have the opportunity to again? Or will I just simply live in regret forever, wondering what if? But waiting upon God is never inactive. It is shaping your heart and character to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who waited upon the Lord, his heavenly Father. Even when he said, Lord, if it be your will, Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said that in the garden, waiting and expecting and knowing that in just a short time he would spill precious drops of real blood, that he would suffer and be abandoned, that he would be disavowed by his closest followers, and he would suffer naked on the cross for sinners who hated and despised him. Can you wait upon the Lord? As we read this passage and as you look through Psalm 37, it's interesting and it's striking that there are people who are in the category of being the righteous, those who seem to not have much or not have enough. And then there's the category of the wicked people who for a short time in this earthly life seem to have everything, but it's repeated throughout this chapter in Psalm 37 that the righteous will inherit the earth and the wicked will be no more. And yet, all it takes is a a passing glance at the world that we live in, and you wonder if Brian Hornsby and the range were right, that some things never change. It's just the way it is. Do you ever shake your head and say that? It's just the way it is. This is what life is like. And I think the enemy loves for us to believe that. The enemy loves for us to think that there is not a hope or a future, that there is no inheritance for the righteous. And yet the passage that we read this morning says that the wicked are here and they will pass away. It might look like they are spreading themselves like the beautiful green trees, but one day there will be an accounting and they will give an answer. And it says here, David says, I went and sought for them and I couldn't find them. And it doesn't mean that when people die, if they're wicked, if they don't know the Lord, it doesn't mean that when you die, you just pass from existence. He's saying they are no longer on the earth, and the only thing that is awaiting them is final judgment. That is clear in this passage. He says it over and over again. The wicked will perish, and the righteous will inherit the land. He says it over and over and over again. He reminds us. So I want to ask you this morning three simple questions, hopefully brief questions in the time that we have. Number one, why is it necessary for God's people, for believers, to wait upon the Lord? Number two, how do you do it? He said it over and over again in this psalm, it's throughout the scriptures, how do you wait upon the Lord? And number three, what is the result if you do? What will my life look like? What will my family's life look like? What will my children experience if we wait upon the Lord? So number one, why is it necessary? I want to give you three reasons why I believe it is absolutely necessary. The first one is because we were created for it. We were created for this. As a believer, your heart should leap as you read these words. 
by God's Spirit in you. You were created for your greatest delight to be in knowing God and walking in His ways. There should be no warmer sun on your face than when you are walking with the Lord, experiencing His peace, walking in the beauty of holiness, not because you feel good about you, but because you know the warmth is His presence with you. I'm with Him, and He is mine. His very commandments for you as a believer are to be what give and sustain life. Like Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34, when He told the disciples, I have food to eat which you do not know. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. That there is actually life-sustaining power far beyond all food or substance in walking with, knowing, and obeying the Lord. Consider this for just a moment. I thought about this this week. That Adam and Eve's temptation in the garden was to take life, the precious life that God had given them, and to put it in their own hands to say, God, you don't know best. They exalted themselves And they broke God's law thinking there would be no consequences. We can sustain ourselves. They didn't even take a moment to call upon the Lord, to seek His face. Even in the moment of temptation, all they had to do was pray, Lord, is this your will? He would have answered. He absolutely would have answered. Do you see yourself doing that? Do you see yourself doing that? Just going about life, making decisions, making significant choices and not wondering what does the Lord think? And I think it's important for us to remember as you think about Adam and Eve, they fell in paradise, not in the throes of Sodom and Gomorrah that many of you walk in and out of every day. They died spiritually in paradise. In the beauty of God's provision and in His presence, It is a reminder to us that our enemy Satan hates us with a passion. He hates the people of God. He hates the Lord Jesus Christ. He hates you. He wants nothing more than for you to fail. Nothing more than for your faith to seem as though it is small and that it shifts under the sand of your circumstances. He doesn't want you waiting upon the Lord. He wants you moving and frenzied and worried and anxious. That's his desire for you. Number two, why is it necessary that we wait upon the Lord? Because all creation longs for it. 1 Peter 1 verse 12. Peter was encouraging the believers when he wrote that angels long to look upon the salvation of God's children. All creation longs to see what it means for God's people to wait upon Him. And what a promise in the Scriptures. As you think about this psalm, have you thought for a moment that as it promises that the righteous shall inherit the earth, it means that by God's Spirit, according to His grace, there will be people in every generation of every tribe and tongue and nation who bow their knee to the Lordship of Christ. Because He says they will inherit the earth. He doesn't say they might if they obey. He says they will. The grace of God, the zeal of the Lord accomplishes it. All of creation longs to see this. In Romans chapter 8 verse 22 it says as much. The Apostle Paul argued saying that creation longs to see the liberation of God's children. Creation longs to see the revelation of the children of God. Who is it that really belongs? If we were in this room and each of us could have some sort of indicator over our heads or on our face. Who is it that belongs to the Lord really? 
Who is it that has saving faith? It says that the redeemed long for this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, we long for the redemption of our souls. We long for the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus to be made real in our lives, to see it, to experience, to taste it. Just as real as the breakfast that maybe you had this morning. Man's chief end, Westminster Shorter Catechism question number one says, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Why is it necessary? Because we were created for it. We were created to exult in God to rejoice in His presence, to behold His glory. Job longed for this. And I want to read just a few verses from Job chapter 19, beginning in verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see For myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job was pleading with God. Let me see your glory. The same way that Moses did when he was on the mountain. God was telling them. It's time to leave the mountain. I've given you the law. You need to go and walk in my ways. And and be in my presence. And Moses. Do you remember his question? In Exodus. Chapter 33, verse 18, he said, Lord, let me see your glory. He begged for it. Let me see you. Jesus prayed for his disciples and for us to be kept in the truth and to see his glory in John chapter 17. He said, Heavenly Father, keep these in the truth whom you have given me. While I was on the earth, I kept them in the truth. You now, as I'm about to leave, please keep them in the truth and show them my glory. Let their hearts rejoice. Let them let go of the fleeting things of this world and may the lesser glories that attract their hearts fall away. Let them see my glory. If Jesus prayed that prayer for you and me, you can bet on it. That it will happen for his people. Why is it necessary, number three, that we wait upon the Lord? Because God's justice demands it. It's absolutely demanded by God. It's not simply that the wicked don't remain in the land, that they somehow leave and go away, or that the godly receive temporary relief from their enemies on this earth. But the words of eternal consequence that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and 32, where Jesus said, A day was coming. When the kingdom of God would be revealed and all of the people of the earth would be separated. The sheep from the goats. The sheep being God's people ushered into his presence in everlasting joy and bliss forever in his presence. Seeing him and dwelling with him. And the goats separated to the right going into hellfire and damnation and eternal separation from God. God's justice demands that in this world. Jesus died for sinners. And God's holiness absolutely requires it. That either the blood of Jesus covers your sins or you pay for them forever in hell. Those are the two options. And you see that clearly in this psalm. So number two, how do I do it? How do I do what you're talking about, preacher? How do I wait upon the Lord? Come and step in my shoes. Walk in my life for a few moments. Please tell me how to do it. 
Number one, you pray at the beginning of a matter. How do you wait upon the Lord? You pray at the beginning of the matter. You seek the Lord's face before you take action. Don't fall back on your own resources or get in a panic and run for some human deliverer. You look to the Lord and you you pause. And against everything in you to do this, when there is an emergency or a big situation or it seems like a weight upon your chest, what am I supposed to do? Go and pray. Lord, what is your counsel? What would you have me do in this? How should I proceed? And then ask the Lord for the grace to have a humble willingness to receive what he says, to listen for an answer. One of the problems that the children of Israel were prone to do was to forget the Lord after they left Egypt. In Psalm 106, there's a a wonderful account of what took place as God delivered his people mightily. But it says in Psalm 106, verse 13, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Does your own heart go there? Is it easy to rejoice when you see the Lord act, when you see him answer, when you see it be very obvious in living color right in front of you, but then you get to the next emergency or the next difficulty or the next trouble, and then you wonder, it all depends on me. I better take action. If you have your Bible with you, turn over to Isaiah chapter 64. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 64. This was the issue. This was the the problem for the nation of Israel at the time. They were going through difficulty. They had enemies on every side. The Assyrians, the Babylonians. Where are we going to turn? Who are we going to run to for help? Isaiah 64 verses 1 through 4. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. That you would come down. That the mountains might shake at your presence as the fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not perceived or heard by the ear. Nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. That was the question for the children of Israel. With their enemies on every side, with their challenges of day-to-day life, wondering who or what should we run to? Will we run to Egypt or not? Will they save us? Will they deliver us? Should we run to the Lord our God and seek his counsel? And that's, that's where they were standing. Did you hear those words? That our God is a God like no other. A God who acts for those who wait for Him. The Hebrew word there is work, deliver, conquer. A God who works for those who wait for Him. I thought it was the other way around, Lord. I thought I served You. And here He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard. A God like this who acts for those who wait for Him. He receives glory when He is the one who works and we are the ones who wait. And yet the children of Israel were tempted. We'll just take action. In Isaiah chapter 30, He tells us about this in verse 1 and 2. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans but not of my spirit. 
that they may add sin upon sin who walk and go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. They were to trust in the shadow of his wings, were they not? They weren't to run to whatever was expedient. They were to trust in the Lord. How do you do it? Children of God, how do you do it? You pray. You run to the Lord. What would you have me do? Isaiah 31 verse 1. Woe to those of you who run down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord? It should kind of sit on you a little bit like a heavy weight. Am I seeking the Lord? Am I, am I looking to Him? Am I asking for His counsel? Or am I running to my own Egypt? How do I do this? Even as you pray and the Lord points you in a direction, as you begin to take action, you're still in a path of obedience, maintaining a humble heart that waits upon the Lord and expects Him to work. Even as you walk in the path of obedience, doing what the Lord has called you to do, you are still waiting and saying, Lord, no matter what my labor is, how good it is or how meager it is, I know that you are the one who works for your people. And I will trust in you. Even in my working, I won't exalt in myself my skills, my labors. And if I do prevail, I will give glory to you because I know that you are the one who does it. You're the reason for my victory. You're the reason for my security, for my provision. Even in our doing, we're not self-sufficient people of God. We are still obeying God and doing what He says we should do. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the deliverance is from the Lord. So even in waiting upon the Lord, even in acting, even in working, even in laboring, we are waiting upon the Lord. We are totally dependent on what He will do and provide. Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So that's number two, how do you do it? And lastly, number three, what is the result? And I want to give you an either or. If you don't do it, or if you do. What's the result of waiting upon the Lord, upon Almighty God, the one who acts for His people? If you don't do it, you might win. You might receive the praise of men. You might get the promotion you were hoping for. You might learn skills that earn you a lot of money. But at what cost? At what cost? Is it worth your soul? Your eternal soul that will live forever in one place or the other, in heaven or in hell. If you don't, you might lose. You most certainly will. Peace of conscience. Because now it totally depends on you. Win or lose, it's on me. I ride on the waves of my accomplishments and I am drudged through the mud of my failures. And I believe too, in that lack of faith, you lose peace with God. And you are left with the question, who is he? I don't know him. And you're left with the question, does he know me? Psalm 106, verse 15. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Francis Chan said that for believers, we should not be afraid of failure. 
We should be afraid of being good at things that have no eternal significance at all. What does it matter if I can fill my bank account or give my children everything they want if I don't know the Lord? If I'm not waiting upon Him, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? What's the result if you do? If you do, if you risk all of your life and your heart and your faith on the Lord, what if you do? You will have freedom and the peace of knowing that waiting upon the Lord isn't a waste. That in waiting upon Him, I know Him. And I know that I belong to Him. Psalm 130, verses 5 through 8. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Church, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him there is abundant redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. What do you get waiting upon the Lord? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's in the midst of trials. That's in the midst of wonderful days. That's in the midst of long seasons that seem like night and the clouds will never end. You know the Lord. And you have freedom and peace that nothing in this world can take away from you. What else? One other thing. You have the humbling sight of watching the Lord work for you in your life. And you glorify Him because you know as you look at your life and you add up, and I'm a, I'm a math person, a numbers person, and you add up these numbers, you say there's no way me plus my resources and my strength equals the life that I have. Only the Lord could do this. Only He can. Even on my best day, if I was batting a thousand every day, I could never do the things that I see in my life for my family, for my children, for my wife, for the church. There's no way it could be me. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. God said this. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Dear people of God, I pray that in this series we have looked at over these months, this summer, being still in the busy, that the Lord has prompted your heart, that He has pricked your soul to wait upon Him even when life seems to be running five directions at once, when time is short, when your patience is short. Wait. Wait on the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, what a privilege it is to be called by you, to be called a son or a daughter of the living God, of which none of us deserve. We all deserve wrath because of our sin. We praise you, Lord, that we may call upon you, that you hear us as we pray, that you accept the offerings of our praise to you. And we thank you for your precious son, Jesus, who came into this world and made himself a servant for us who works for those who wait on him. Lord, I pray that you would hide us in the shadow of your wing, that as the storm rages, you would help us to know your presence is near. And I do pray that for your people, Lord. There are many here today and some who aren't, who are truly going through difficult trials. And believing and having faith is almost too much to bear. But Lord, I pray that you would bear them up. Hide them in the shadow of your wings. Set them in a good place, in a broad place. And remind them, your dear people, of your presence with them. And that one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's, thank you. Let's respond together to God's word by singing hymn number 552. Great, from out of the depths I cry to you.
thank you for being able to worship you today, even in this portion of our service in the offering, to worship you, to return back a portion of what you have so richly blessed us with. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to bless our tithes and our offerings, that they might be used for the sake of the kingdom, expanding, that people would hear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his great love for his people and his perfect sacrifice on our behalf, exchanging his righteousness for our sin, that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. Lord, we pray that because of our offering today, people will hear of Jesus' name. And we ask this in his name, the Lord Jesus alone. Amen. Now may the God who never abandons you and never lets go of you go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, and make you faithful in your temptations until Jesus comes again. Amen.